Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 109th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, 64, 74, 83, 92, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, and episode 82, which also featured regular guest Ash Burgess of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He's an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. If you listened to the last three episodes, you heard us talk about the first nine episodes of The Wire. On this episode, we'll be discussing up through episode four of season two. So consider this your blanket spoiler alert. And now on to the show. Hello. Hey, Josh. Hey, what's up? How's it going, Bob? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, doing okay. Got the day off tomorrow because it's Korean Memorial Day here. So. Oh, well. Wow. Is there a uh, greeting I should say for that? <laughs> um, huh. I don't know that there's a special greeting for this holiday. Okay. Let me see. So is that like the but, equivalent um, of our Memorial Day? Is there any difference? Um, I'm not actually sure. Korea has a lot of, like, well, they have a lot of holidays around, what can we say, like military victories or pieces or hmm. ends of wars or ends of occupations, Independence Days, uh, like national, I don't know, there, there are a lot of holidays like that. Um, hmm. So, yeah, there are multiple ones. Okay. But yeah, yeah, so that's coming up tomorrow. And actually, next Wednesday is off, too, because it's local election day. Oh, really? Okay. What kind of elections yeah, we got going on? I know we already had the uh, presidential one, right? So it's probably like local stuff, I assume. Yeah, yeah, pretty much local. Um, <clears throat> but it's kind of annoying because all last week they've had these bongo vans that have been outfitted with, like, on the back part of this kind of a stage with loudspeakers and stuff, and they go set up in a neighborhood, and they just broadcast, and mm. <clears throat> either the candidate gives a speech, or some of his supporters give a speech, and people dance and stuff to songs that have been kind of, like, re-recorded as campaign songs and stuff. It's It's interesting. It's charming. It's kind of, you know quaint in a way but it's really annoying because it's right outside of the school that i teach at so and it goes from about 8 a.m until about 8 or 9 p.m so uh-huh. uh it's an all-day affair i see in most neighborhoods so so it's kind of like old-timey but, electioneering type stuff well I, you know i don't even know if we had anything quite like this in america i mean hmm. i don't know it's these these bongo trucks and stuff i, I don't know it's uniquely korean in some ways although you know, we don't know much about old campaigning in America, so... Yeah, true. I'm just basing what I've seen on, uh, like, Back to the Future and stuff, but... <laughs> uh, I haven't seen that since I was at least in middle school. So oh, yeah? Go okay. watch it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I was just reading a New Yorker article about the, the rap battle between Drake and Pusha, Pusha T, is that right? Mm-hmm. One of the clips, guys? Yeah, it's gotten pretty uh, pretty heated. What do you think? 
I don't know. I haven't heard any of the songs, but I really want to hear them now. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, rap beef songs can be some great, great songs sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, well, I was reading a kind yeah. of an explainer from the Washington Post about it, and uh, they were talking about how this goes all the way back to uh, the you know early 2000s because uh, Clips, of course, was heavy into uh, rapping about uh, selling drugs and, and selling you know and wearing uh, designer clothes and stuff, and they felt that uh, Lil Wayne was uh, was kind of copying their style. And I don't know I don't know if you remember that Clips song, uh, Mr. Me Too. Uh, I believe it was produced oh. by Pharrell. Are they talking about Woody Allen? Mr. Me Too. Oh no! <laughs> no, this was this is long before that had that meaning. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, no, that, that's funny though. Can't tell if I'm too with it or if I'm not with it. No, this was like 2003 or something. But um, anyway, they were basically accusing Lil Wayne of, of uh, copying them, uh, their style, and everything. Uh, anyhow, uh, Drake is is or was signed to Cash Money, uh, so I think the beef kind of uh, transferred over. To him when he joined up with them. So uh, anyway, this has been kind of a years-long running beef. And uh, when uh, I guess I guess uh, Drake has has said that uh, uh, you know his uh, brother or his cousin uh, Pusha T's cousin Malice, who now goes by No Malice, and actually is a Christian rapper, left the rap game entirely. That's why Clips is no longer a thing. Um, yeah. So he basically just put a No in front of Malice, and now he does like Christian rap. So that's kind of an interesting turn for him. But anyway, Pusha T kept on with his path. He's now the president of uh, Kanye West's uh, Good Music, and he, uh, I guess, just released an album. Anyway, so uh, I guess Drake has accused Pusha T of just uh, you know, you know, using someone else's life story for his own raps as far as selling drugs and, and doing all these things he's rapping about. And then uh, that was, it was kind of a tame diss. And, and you know, in, in the past, Pusha T has uh, said some things about Drake and, and using Go writers not actually writing his own rhymes uh but when uh when pusha t came back with his song uh well because uh drake's song was called duppy freestyle and then pusha t's was a story of adenon and apparently added adenon i don't i don't know if i'm saying that right uh is drake's uh, uh outside of marriage child with a french porn star who he may or may not acknowledge or may have said told her to get an abortion before it was born. Uh, anyway, he, he came back with some with some pretty harsh rhymes. Uh, also accused him of not being black enough. Uh, found an old picture of Drake in, in blackface for the cover of that song, uh, which apparently is a real photo. Um, so now I'm hearing yeah. that Drake actually does take care of the kid, but it's just he's not making a big deal out of it. And he was saying that that photo was from something like fighting racism. So who knows? But yeah, it's it's gotten pretty ugly pretty fast. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, from what I gleaned in the uh, New Yorker article, um, like he, his son is named Adonis, or his oh. alleged son, or whatever. okay, Doug. yeah. And, but and he was he has kind of like and apparently, Pusha G found out that he was planning to kind of like release the news of the son this summer or something. Mm-hmm. Something to do with like an Adidas promo or something, and so it was kind of huh. a combination of Adonis and Adidas or something. Oh, okay. So his name is not okay. His name is Adonis. Got it. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on exactly. It's, uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've not been the biggest Drake fan. I guess we could say like mm-hmm. uh, he's. 
I don't know. I mean, I liked him on uh, Aston Martin. Uh, Aston Martin, uh, what do you call that? that? The one with Rick Ross or whatever? Oh, Aston Martin music. Kind of his, yeah, I love that song. Mm-hmm. But like pretty much everything else he's done since then has been kind of unimpressive, I think. Or, or, you I weren't into uh, Hotline Bling or any of that? Mm, no, <laughs> not really. Um, so so that's, that's something... Uh, I don't know clips, man. Back in like 2003, 2004, and stuff, they were they were wild. Like, oh yeah, time. Well, that whole album, yeah. Lord Welland, their first album was just great. Produced by the Neptunes, uh, had that, of course, Eternal Song, Grinding. Uh, yeah, that's that's the song I've got stuck in my head tonight after reading this article. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a song. Oh yeah, that that's one for the books. Yeah, and it had a couple others on that album. I have to look and see what else there was. But yeah, there was there was some timeless. Uh, songs on that album so yeah i was a big clips fan too back in the day yeah yeah it's kind of disappointing that the guys decided to become a explicitly christian rapper i mean a lot of rappers are christian but yeah. you know once well, you make that your main thing i think I mean, like yeah one of their close uh, i can't remember if it was their manager or somebody very close to them went to jail for like 30 years for distributing cocaine or something so i think that kind of uh, it all came tumbling down kind of right after that because i think he would kind of got maybe scared straight or something so. okay yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, when you've got a song like Grindin', uh-huh. yep. yeah, you probably don't want to be closely associated with people who are actually going We're going to hop right out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about new song? This one is, see if this one does anything for you. It's going to be called Not Grindin'. How about that? <laughs> We're grinding for Jesus. <laughs> yep. I'm trying to think, who was the guy from the 90s? Uh Kind of an R and B guy, um, but he turned yeah. into a Christian rapper mm-hmm. guy too. I know who you're um, talking about. Yeah, um, what was his name? Um, no, it wasn't the Return of the Mac guy, but it was like one of those songs. It was uh, Martin Morrison or something. Yeah, no, it wasn't him. Was but I know who you're talking kind of about. Kind of an R. Kelly vein at that point. Um, Mace. Mace. Oh, right? oh, Mace. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came back though. I, I believe that was a short-lived thing. He was a oh, preacher for a while, and then there was a song in like the mid 2000s where P. Diddy produced. It was called "Welcome Back." So I guess it was like "Welcome Back <laughs> to Satan." I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I think Mesa's like runaway, you know, all time hit for me. It was um <clears throat> I think it's like I need to be or something like that. It's it's called mm. Have you heard that one? Do you know mm-hmm. that one? It was no, like, no. It was pretty big. I think it was like around when we were freshmen in college and stuff. It was a good song. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. It was it was it was a just incredible beat, incredible track and everything. Pretty good rapping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. But um, anyways, yeah, it's interesting to see what will happen with this. But, like, um, you know that work song by uh, Rihanna? Mm-hmm. Like, that's an, I think that's an outstanding song, great song. She does a good job on it and stuff with the 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 patois or patois or whatever mm-hmm. how the hell you call it like um the, the kind of the whatever she's doing there but then like you know drake comes on the track and i'm just like oh fuck you know yeah his rapping is terrible on that thing it's just like his lines are just so terrible and to be fair to him mm-hmm. what the hell are you supposed to do when you know you've got somebody from like the Caribbean islands or something who's doing her own damn thing that you, there's no way you can go there. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Well, I mean, you're Canadian, bro. <laughs> I mean, <come> on. 
like, I mean, he was even on uh, what was what TV show was he on? Degrassi. <laughs> yeah, he, mm-hmm. was, he was on Degrassi. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, I mean, and and even the thing with the blackface and the uh-huh. Jim Crow shirt or whatever in the photo, <coughs> it's like. Once again, bro, you're Canadian, Mm -hmm. you know, I I know you're half black and stuff, but like, you know, this, this was, this was an American institution as I understand it, you know, this kind of stuff. So, you you know, to even, I mean, to claim part of that cultural heritage, which is, you know, explicitly an African-American thing, as far as I understand, I mean, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe they had the mental stuff up in Canada, but I sincerely doubt it. Mm -hmm. Um, but oh, uh, I don't know. You know. Side note: Montel Jordan was the person I was thinking of before. Uh, this is how we oh, do it. Really? Yeah, Man. he became a Christian oh. uh, artist after his success kind of faded. It's always after everything comes crashing down. They're like, you know what, Jesus? <laughs> Going to give you a second look. <laughs> I think that's that's the final nail in the coffin, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or nail on the cross. Oh know. yeah, very good. Turn flip it back around, mm. sure. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, yeah, uh, no Montel Jordan. I really like that song. Oh yeah, that's a classic. That's how we do it. That was a absolutely new song. Nineties mm-hmm. boy stuff that was going on in the nineties and early two thousands and stuff. Ugh. <laughs> you know, not to denigrate what's going on now because I'm, I'm sure there is good rap out there and there's good stuff. I mean, but I don't know. That stuff was a time and a place. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, I think I've officially entered the old man get off my lawn thing with the music today. I've just totally lost track of it. Um, I just hear this mumble rap, and you know, I don't know if you've heard this post Malone stuff. I'm just, I just can't get into it. I don't, I don't know. I think I have, but um, I mean, like, okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest and admit to a guilty pleasure, a relatively modern guilty pleasure, which was um, Lifestyle by Quan or something. What was his name? Big Homie Quan. Yeah, for rich homie Lifestyle. Kwan. Rich, rich homie Kwan. Rich, me. rich homie Kwan. Yeah, that sounds right. Are you familiar with the song Lifestyle? I'm sure I am. Sounds yeah. I'm, it's terrible. Yeah, but I love it. It's what does it sound song. like? What's the? I don't know. You baby, 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 my lifestyle. I think I know that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's coming to me. Sing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's but and he just like mumbles through all the lines and stuff, and it's it's. Oh my god! It's it's it's. <laughs> Epically horrible, but it's also catchy, and there's, I don't know, there's something appealing about it in a way, I guess. Yeah. Guilty pleasure, but I, I like right, it. Right, right. Well, yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, no, it's funny. There was somebody that did like kind of a perfect uh, encapsulation, like a parody of today's rap. Is somebody like uh, did a, uh, you know, that Dr. Seuss book, Walk It in My Pocket. They basically just wrapped the oh, Walk It. it, it they just they just wrapped the whole Dr. Seuss book in the style of like this, like you know, mumble rap you know thing and it was it was pretty incredible so it's just okay. like this is this is what passes for like bars these days you know what i mean so. yeah well i mean okay i'm not familiar with uh mumble rap too much beyond like rich homie quad i guess mm-hmm. but like um i mean do you think what about the whisper song do you think that's kind of like the origins of it? yeah yeah i could see that yeah yeah and that whole like snap 
music thing that that probably was was the genesis of it i think honestly if you want to go back to it um bring it back to kanye i think that album he had uh where it was uh, 808s and heartbreak i think that may have set the stage for a lot of this stuff too um most of drake's career i think also kind of sprung from that era so yeah okay well again i'm i'm a, yeah i'm i'm an old man territory I, i'm not up on all the new stuff mm-hmm. and, um, and i don't i don't you know i'm outside the country so i don't even get the radio really but right oh by the way like everybody in korea is freaking out because bts has been on the number one on the billboard charts or something are you familiar with whatever song they've got no no i've been i've been reading about how k-pop's starting to take over but i'm not i don't think i know the song that that they're talking about yet i've been reading about how k-pop is taking over since 2007 okay (laughs) and it hasn't happened yet so yeah (laughs) It's, it's always this thing that's just on the verge of just you know, crossing that critical threshold. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, didn't they have like some like uh, I, the Wonder Girls? Didn't they have like a reality TV show for a while on MTV or something? How they were trying to like break in or something? Hmm. So yeah, maybe I, I don't know. I didn't see it, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, the Wonder Girls tried to cross over. Mm-hmm. Sonia Shide, Girls Generation tried to cross over. Yep. I think uh, there's a constituency um, for it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there yeah. are people that like it. I wouldn't say it's taking over by any stretch of the imagination other than maybe Gangnam style but I feel like that was kind of more of a one-off oh Gangnam style Gangnam style excuse me yeah I mean that was my god somebody was saying yes K-pop is getting better and better every day because Gangnam style I was like dude Gangnam style was 2012 that was a long time ago (laughs) it's like six years ago literally exactly I can't believe but Mm -hmm. it's true you know Mm -hmm. so totally yeah it's it's crazy it's like time is flying and stuff Mm -hmm. the older you get for sure um but i'm just curious because like they say it's the number one on the billboard charts or whatever and to me i'm reevaluating what that means because does that mean it's being played on the radio constantly in america see they've had to change all these like certifications and stuff too and now they include like digital downloads and streamings and stuff so i don't even know what that means anymore i don't think it means the same thing like when we knew what that kind of stuff meant you know what i mean like i think they've changed the rules and i guess they've kind of had to because i mean people don't buy or listen to music in the same ways that they did you know back when we were you know paying twenty dollars for uh you know uh, macarena mix cd or whatever so <laughs> yeah and now this is music yeah exactly <laughs> Same thing, yeah. Right. yeah man yeah that was man when my fucking cds got stolen that was the end of the mm-hmm. of the uh uh you know, I don't know. That was the end of music for me as far as paying for it, buying it, <laughs> owning it, etc. <laughs> so, right. And you know what? You know, the music industry, they got plenty of my hard-earned money before I turned 25. Absolutely. And, and they, uh, I guess. you know, they gave the shaft to enough uh, artists when they were doing well. So, you know, I don't feel super duper bad for, for them at this point. They're, I think they're figuring it out as far as like, uh, you know, downloads and also like licensing songs and stuff. That's, that's kind of become more of a thing i think uh even more than it was before so yeah is, is fake love the song that we were talking about that's supposedly taking over by um, bts possibly I, I don't know i mean like they had one song called dna which was huge okay that that was looks like this the single prior to that one um okay they had they had a song called blood sweat and tears that i hear sometimes i think it was kind of catchy okay yeah they've had a few catchy songs right but, um I don't know. The the K-pop posturing is just so rubs me the wrong way. It's just like hmm. 
I don't know. Like I, I read some bullshit article or something on Salon or something a few like a month ago that said Nicki Minaj has got to stop appropriating Asian culture in her video where she acts like this geisha. Mm. <laughs> it's like uh, every every couple of months a K-pop artist gets busted for doing blackface on some reality show. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know what <laughs> you know. If Nicki, if Nicki Minaj wants to appropriate Asian culture or something, and the black people want to, do, or the Asian people want to do blackface when they don't have a history of oppressing each other, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm just, I'm just a heterosexual cis normative white male, but I say, you know, let it, let let bygones be bygones. <laughs> this, this is not. I don't think we need to fan the flames on this issue. Right, right, absolutely. And I do wish, I do wish the Koreans would stop doing blackface. Yeah, that is pretty embarrassing. It, you know, they're totally unaware of the minstrel show history of, in mm-hmm. America. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it doesn't have. I mean, but at the same time, like you know, all these K-pop stars, you know, who have gone through the K-pop training machine camp thing to pretend that they're like these, you know, to to kind of pose like they're these hardcore, you know, hip hop rappers or something is like uh it's it's exasperating of course because mm-hmm. you know it's like it's faker than Millie Vanilla so <laughs> Yeah, I was just looking up BTS, and uh, there was a uh, story from the South China Morning Post. BTS, make it to the top in the U.S. without having to pay a creative price. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're keeping it real. (laughs) All all seven of them that were created in a factory are keeping it real. (laughs) Well, supposedly BTS... To some degree or other, exists outside of the factory model. Oh, really? They were like produced by an independent factory. Oh. <laughs> and so, an independent factory. Oh, good. <laughs> very, they're disruptors, I guess we could say, of the K-pop machine to some degree. Although I don't know what that means. That, that they were, is that what? Is that just they're because they're not under the JYP umbrella? The, the JYP or the SM? Mm. Yeah, they're not one of the big ones. So I don't know if that means they were produced and managed by some, you know, small timers who manage them to the same degree or what. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, I, I, I have a hard time keeping up with what's what's popular in Korean music and what's popular in American. I, I just you know something about getting older. You just uh, you know you like the songs that they played at your middle school dances, and uh, you know if something's on the radio and you like it, you listen to it, but you're not obsessing about this stuff anymore at least i'm not i know you've you've always been a little bit more into music than i have Mm -hmm. i appreciate music i like having it on there's songs i like but i don't play it certainly sure but anyways anyways well enough 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 about uh drake and push a t Mm -hmm. um but so we have we have officially finished the uh the wire Mm. Right. Well, I, well, hold on now. I haven't season finished one. the entire one yet. <laughs> you, you finished season one. So finished season that's one, like, and I've actually well, seen uh, four episodes of the second season as well, if you want to talk about that. Or if you want to save that for another time, I can do that too. So I, Okay, we, we could get into that at the end a little bit maybe, but let's just like try to, maybe if we try to keep this one on the season okay. one, because I've been actually holding off on watching season two because I didn't want to start before you had started it and stuff, but oh, if, you're, okay. if you're starting, then I'll start it tonight. Yeah, yeah, I'm, so, I'm trying to push. I don't I don't know how I'm going to like make progress going forward, but I have pushed ahead a little bit. So, okay. By the way, 
Um, how do you feel about the tonal shift as far as like the, the shift in focus in season two where you're kind of really taking a step back from the, 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 the West Side uh, drug gangs and stuff in West Baltimore? Oh, that's okay. I mean, I'm fine with that. I mean, honestly, they broke up. I mean, I guess you spoil alert, blanket spoil alert as we go forward, of course. But, um, you know, as we move forward, it kind of makes sense that, you know, they kind of focused elsewhere because, I mean, except for Stringer Bell, it seems like most of the gang is, has kind of been scattered a little bit, and obviously we've got people in jail and we've got people dead, and you know, the you know they're having problems getting the product, and they're barely holding onto the towers, and you know it's it's probably appropriate that we do that. And that team that they put together for the first season, you know, as much as they're you know trying to get the band back together, it looks like here at this in the second season to uh, get these people at the docks. Uh, it kind of looks like they've kind of broken up the team uh, a little bit, but yeah, that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that, and you know, obviously Stringer is kind of moving under the radar a little bit more, uh, working out of the funeral home, uh, you know, as opposed to uh, you know being at the strip club on Front Street. You know, he's kind of bringing it back a little bit, trying to get reorganized a little bit. So yeah, that's fine with me. I don't I don't need him to stay like that. Actually, it'd be kind of hackneyed if they just were like, oh, what's the gang getting into this year? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you're like taking it in stride because myself and actually a lot of people had kind of a, a like a letdown in the second season. Hmm. Although it builds to something, and by the end of it, you know Frank Shabak Frank uh, Sabatka, mm-hmm. Polish dock, dock workers leader, union leader guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he goes on a journey, and he for me for my money, he's kind of the poor man's Tony Soprano. Hmm. And slightly more benevolent than Soprano, I guess. But yeah. he's he's this kind of this, you know, connected middle aged dude who's just trying to keep his family together and out of trouble and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he gets wrapped up in something that is. I mean, the first time I think that I watched the second season, I was kind of like, wasn't as psyched about it because it wasn't these people that I'd really come to know in the first season so well that I was. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, it kind of grew on me, and I was, you know, happy to go into the third season where they were going with that. But when I rewatched it the first time, I appreciated the second season a lot more hmm. uh, because I, I kind of knew that, you know, it has an arc. Every season has an arc, basically, and it has a story to tell. Uh-huh. And and this is, you know, this is really about kind of like to some degree, it's about the deunionization of America since the 1980s and uh-huh. stuff. And uh-huh. Just kind of the you know, people want to say like, oh, it was the white working class who doesn't have any prospects who voted for Trump. And it's like, I don't know, whatever. But um, it's like, no, this this show, this season uh, gets into that a little bit mm-hmm. as far as, you know, what the non-college educated white working class mm-hmm. doing these kind of jobs that are disappearing, what their prospects are and stuff and, and the things that they get into and stuff. And it, it's, it's a it's a worthy season on its own right mm-hmm. in its own right. So right. Well, I mean, right. I heard an interview with uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. You want to go back to him a little bit? They're talking about The Wire, and he was actually saying that the second season of The Wire was his favorite season of The Wire because it kind of showed that the problems and the structures that people are working in and against and with aren't just you know in this one area in Baltimore. It's kind of like these people. There's these uh, you know groups and organizations and things that are going on that you know 
know affect people of different backgrounds and and it's not and it's kind of a cross section more of of uh, different parts of the city kind of showing you that you know people aren't that different you know the the problems that they face and the things that they're trying to mm. do within what they're doing so but wow. you're a baltimore guy you don't really i i didn't really did you write about the wire i never not too much but i, I googled it i looked for uh, i wrote a few things for the atlantic but by also by the time i started writing for the atlantic they probably kind of done four they probably were at season four that was um, the best season that was okay, my so favorite I'm about season to, i'm about to cause a fight for everybody let's have a fight this. right now we can end it on this season two is the best season of the wire oh no bar none oh my god it's not even a debate now I feel it's like indisputably. Now I feel like Coates with John Kelly walking in the ring. <laughs> season two is so not the best season. <laughs> the best season in Hawaii. Let season me... four is the best season of TV ever. Season four is not even season four. The second best season four. It probably is the second best season. It goes two, four, one, three, five. See, everybody's down on five, and five has now become underrated. Because everybody is gets it? mad maybe, about the newspaper. Yeah, the yeah, season yeah. finale, the series finale of The Wire. Mm-hmm. I will stand by and ride to the death. The problem with five for me, and I, I like let's be let's stipulate that we're talking about the wire. Yeah. So anybody that starts with the problem with, and you're talking yeah, about the wire, it's a Mount like, Rushmore like, show, right? Let's it's just on be Mount clear Rushmore. About what we're saying. I just felt like they. Like, I don't know what new was said at that point. Like I felt like they knew, and you watch McNulty tumble back. But okay, I already know who McNulty is. Right. I don't need to see him go back. I know. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Like I, I, I know. You know what I mean? And so I you thought it could have ended at four. Yeah, and then easily. done like a movie for because like before he comes back, right? Yeah, that shit. I didn't think that was going to end well. I didn't think I don't like my mind. McNulty does not come back and they ride off into the sunset. McNulty, I know who McNulty. He wasn't going to be the mayor of Baltimore. No, that wasn't going to happen <laughs> at all. That wasn't going to happen. Maybe you're right. Maybe I got to let me say. Let, let me make the case for two right off. The Please, bat. it's an it's an unwinnable case, but I want to hear it. That's what you think. That's what everyone thinks, but everyone is wrong. Here's why. This is what people forget. Season one, you get drugs in Baltimore and you get it's not stereotypical but the image of these black drug dealers is well within the the imagination it's done really really well that's not a shot at it yeah it's done really 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 well season two he's like oh you thought this was some black shit fair no it's not it's yeah. not i mean and it just it quietly it just flips this is no 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 this is this is Baltimore man and as a person that grew up in Baltimore I knew they were poor white people in Baltimore. I knew they were working class white people who had these problems. You didn't, you know, see them in the same way. But to say, no, no, this ain't just black folks. This is the system at large. And it's eating at everything. Yeah. I just thought that, like, I mean, when's the last time you saw, like, white drug dealers, white urban <laughs> drug dealers? When is that? Is there a character like Ziggy on? Like, I've never seen nah. that. I've never seen anything like you, that. It needed season two. The series as a whole desperately needed season two to exist. It was a tremendous act of courage. So I just feel like from an ambition perspective, like to say, like, what was selling that like? Like, come on, you started with these cast of characters and now yeah. you're saying you're going to completely flip it and put them on the back burner and we're going to have white drug dealers? Yeah. And and shipping. And shipping. <laughs> right, and shipping. That's what this is going to be docks. about. Right, and docks. And the intricacies of the yeah, shipping Yeah, can I imagine business. the notes from HBO for that oh, one? Oh, hey, uh, The only thing I can... charismatic <laughs> black characters. Can we bring those back? The only thing I think is that they were making so... Like, the ratings were so low. 
But that gave them the shield to say, right, okay, they just go let for it. Happen. Go for it. Do, do whatever you want. It's not like we're banking on you anyway. Yeah, I, I can kind of see what he's yeah. saying now that we've, you know, kind of gotten into the second season. It's like, yes, these people are working within this structure. And even the characters want to think they're they're different. You know, like when uh, Ziggy, oh, I hate Ziggy. But anyway, we'll get, we can get into him. But um, but when Ziggy's trying to get, uh, what's the main young guy, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, oh, I, I forget that guy's name, but I know, you know, yeah, the guy with the girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, that one. She wants to get a house and you know, all that guy. Like he's like, uh, he's like scoffing at, oh, you know, I don't, don't want to get into drugs like those, uh, you know, N words in the, in the, you know, in the projects or whatever. And then it's like, let's go steal a, the thing get full of cameras. Let's go. It's like, we're, you're not really that different. You're still doing some large scale legal things. It's like, just because it's one thing and not the other, it's not like, you're not like superior or whatever, but you know, even the people in it don't think that they're the same, but they are. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> Nikki. Is it Nick? Nick? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, these guys, yeah, they're in their own thing and stuff, and they're, you know, again, I mean, you've got, they're involved in illegal stuff, and, but you see that that's kind of something that's been going on since way back, as far as, you know, they they know that, you know, things used to fall off the dock when their, their uncle or their father was, you know, working there too, but now he's in control, and so he's telling them, like, you can't do this stuff anymore, you get, you stop it, I know you did this, and mm-hmm. don't ever do it, put it back. And they're like, but you know, they've been raised in this uh, mm-hmm. this economy, this this uh, career field, and they know that this is the type of thing that goes on. And so, mm-hmm. and you get the same sense as people like Wallace or something, you know, somebody who's got a heart and is a good kid, basically. But you know, this is just his circumstance and stuff, and he doesn't really know anything else and stuff. And so he's he's in it for life, as it were, and mm-hmm. stuff. And so you get the you get a similar sense with these guys. So. Yeah, season two is um, it's a little bit different, but it's it's also equally a good season, I would say. Mm-hmm. But Definitely. we got we got to Bob, we got to we got to <laughs> we 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 left it. Where do we leave it? Around episode five, I think. No, no, no. We, we were further than that. We were right on the cusp of kind of the explosion of the. Uh, I think I made it to episode nine actually, because uh, we we were saying wait till episode ten, and so mm-hmm. I hadn't seen ten, eleven, twelve. Or thirteen, so yeah, I left it with four to go. So, okay. So how how about the ending? How about those last four episodes? Uh, where to begin? Who do you what do you want to talk about first? I mean, so much happened. Yeah, well, it's been about a week or so since I've seen them, but I think obviously the big thing that was about to happen when you were waiting to watch that that next episode was that uh, Kima Griggs mm-hmm. gets shot, mm-hmm. right? Right. And you don't know what happens at the end of that episode. It really ends on a cliffhanger. She's been shot. They, the police can't find her. She's not responding on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando, the strip club owner, is dead in the car. Mm-hmm. And Weebay and Little Man have run away mm-hmm. from the scene. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that you know that's that's a uh, I don't know. I think that was kind of a wake up call. That's kind of like you know. That's kind of like the big pussy moment in Sopranos where he gets whacked and people just were not expecting one of the main series characters to get killed in the mm-hmm. second season. Uh, it's kind of like where uh, the Game of Thrones where uh, Ned Stark gets beheaded and stuff and you're like, wait, he was the main character. That's mm-hmm. what the show was built around. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, Kima Griggs is not the main character, but she's one of the top five, I would say. In that oh, season, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, and, and I think that episode was called, like, The Cost. So that obviously the cost of doing this kind of police work is that sometimes people get shot, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, 
And then in the next episode, we see the police response where, you know, it's they're mad as hell. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a full court press to get down there and lock down the scene and, you know, do real police work to to really, you know, track these people down and stuff, whoever did this and stuff. And then, right. Well, they kind of have to make their move at that point because it's like if, if once a cop gets shot, it's like kind of like all bets are off and you kind of have to like put up or shut up at that point because, I mean, now it's like there's, you know, literal skin in the game. Uh, so it's, you know, kind of, it's not just like, oh, will the wire keep going? Oh, I don't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's kind of like, okay, now yeah. we need we need some results here because somebody's been, you know, somebody's been shot. So, yeah, well, I think one thing to think about, too, with this scene is that this this is kind of a juxtaposition um, against what we usually see the homicide department doing, which is kind of like slow peddling cases. And eh, if I solve it, I solve it. If I don't, I don't. Yeah, Baltimore's always going to be happening in Baltimore. Murder's always going to be happening in Baltimore. So it doesn't really matter. But now we're seeing like they're bringing all their resources to bear to solve this crime, mm-hmm. and and you know they do it all pretty much legitimately up until the point where Bunk goes and visits Kima in the in the hospital after she wakes up, and you know he, what did he say? He put the fat finger on the on the lineup photos, and he said, mm-hmm. "Do you recognize like who shot you?" And he like taps the photo to show which one of them they know did it, the stuff where they mm-hmm. suspect has done it, and like and Kima says. What did she say? She said, I saw a little man, but I didn't see Wee Bay, or I saw Wee Bay, but I didn't see a little man or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So she positively identifies one of them, but the other one, she says, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, if you guys can catch him based on other evidence, then you got to do that. I, I think this one has to be, like, mm-hmm. done legitimately or something, so. Yeah, what did, what did you think of that moment? Was this when she gets shot? Well, I mean, the the part where Bunk is oh. basically telling her, we know this is the guy who did it. We've got all this circumstantial evidence. If you mm-hmm. can just identify him for us, and, you know, that really strengthens our case against him, like makes it bulletproof and stuff. And she's like, no, sometimes it's got to play hard or mm-hmm. something. She's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this an easy conviction or something. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you know, that shows that? that she's a solid, you know, police officer and, uh, you know, a department filled with people who aren't that, in, you know, invested in, uh, you know, uh, actually, you know, if they need to cut a few corners to get to the, the you know, clearance rate or, or get a conviction, they're willing to do it. But, you know, I think she's a little more uh, rock solid than a lot of people that work there. So it kind of showed the, you know, her metal. So. Yeah, but at the same time, like when that old that old drunk guy got punched by Brody or whatever, she was in there with all the other cops. That's like, true. You know, illegally wailing on the kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. No, I, I that was that was a conundrum. Yeah, I agree. It was it was not her finest moment, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Brody didn't seem too disappointed or surprised by it, but true. I don't know. It's it's it seems to you know, <laughs> for these people that as as Omar might say, it's all part of the game or something. So yeah, it's all in not the game. surprising or especially disappointing for anybody involved. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
but yeah, I, I thought that was that was a, obviously a kind of a catalyst for the final uh, rest of the season. They kind of have to do the big bust at the house that they follow the guy back to who does the reups, and you know they've got to kind of put the put the screws to people and, and show some results at that point. So it's it's kind of like things kind of have to come to a head after that. So yeah, um, well, one more thing regarding Kima. Um, what about Bubs Bubbles? He was, oh, he was trying to get clean. That killed me. Give him the money the next day. I hated that. And then next thing you know, like know. he's paging her pager, and they're mm-hmm. like, "What?" You know, they bring him in and beat the shit out. I know it was horrible. Why I felt bad, so bad for him, and then he started using again. Oh, so bad. <laughs> yeah, and and then Jimmy's like, "We need you to get back on those streets, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, but see, McNutty, I'm trying to do something here." And he's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, here's fifty dollars. Go out there, find out what they're up to now, or something." Mm-hmm. He's like, "Fuck, Bubs is back up, you know, on the wagon or off the wagon or whatever the hell yeah. you call it, because you know, Kima's dead. He's got his ass kicked by other cops for this and stuff, and now mm-hmm. Jimmy's telling him to go back out and start using it again and giving him putting the money in his hand." Mm-hmm. Yeah, not that, so good. That was obviously hard to watch. Now, what about that Waylon guy? I think his name is Waylon. He's the Waylon. You know who that is in real life, right? No, who's that? Uh, he is a country kind of heartland rock singer uh, named Steve Earle. Hmm. Um, if you've ever heard, he's got a bunch of hits, mostly from like the late '80s. Uh, one of his most famous ones was Copperhead Road. Oh yeah, I know that song. Yeah, he that's his song. Um, but he actually, I don't know, I assume he's clean now, but he was a pretty heavy heroin user. So I think his, uh, I don't think he has HIV or whatever, but uh, I think his mm-hmm. life kind of also mirrors the character in uh, in the show. So Yeah, he's, he's an interesting character, and I think he'll be back in later seasons, too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, it's interesting because he was, I mean, he gave a... I mean, his speech at the at the Narcotics Anonymous meeting was, you know, yeah, it was inspirational. It was like, you know, he he gave a no nonsense, no bullshit, just kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, just very deadpan, very dry kind of speech, and it was it was good. And then like later when when Bubs and Johnny see him over at the at, down in the pit trying to score, mm-hmm. they think, and they're like, ah, see, he's a hypocrite, just like everybody else. You mean when he's and in the tester line, but he's actually just looking for his nephew or whatever? Yeah, he's trying to get his nephew clean, and mm-hmm. and Bubs is you know Bubs learns that, and he's like, oh okay. Yeah, he's a he's a he's an interesting character. He's a he's a solid actor too. I think he really plays the role well. Yeah, yeah, I was I was impressed. He, he brings some gravitas. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of. Anyways, we got to continue to watch Bubs. Bubs is Bubs is a also a favorite along the lines of an Omar, mm-hmm. you know, in a different way. Yep. He's an iconic character, so mm-hmm. he's gonna he's gonna continue to have roles to play in future seasons here. Yep. Um, uh, what what about? Okay, let me think about other things. What about Wallace? Okay, we. Where's Wallace? Right. That's one of the Wallace most uh, gutting things. Oh, I just yeah, I was just like yeah, I'm I'm done. This is this hurts. <laughs> uh, yeah. That ouch. Was, that was some fucked up shit, wasn't it? I know, and it I was mean, his friend. It's all. It's his best friends too, man. Like he said, you know, it was like his, you know, whatever. It was it was the people that are closest to you. That's who they send that to. You know what I mean? But like they 
you know, when they when uh, you know what's his name uh, Stringer Bell had the uh, conversation in the car with uh, oh Brody. You, yeah Brody, and he's like, what are you are you built for this or whatever? And it's like he's telling him without telling him what to do, and oh, yeah, that whole scene where he waits for him to come upstairs. You know what's gonna happen. You don't want it to happen. You know what's gotta happen. You hope the other guy intervenes. He doesn't. Then he kind of goads him on. You know, oh, it's so bad. I mean, it was a great scene, but man, it hurt. <laughs> And you know it had to happen, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, and and I mean that's it's a it's a messed up and twisted. I mean, like it, yeah, it's a, it's a fucked up thing. I mean, like I think you had said that Wallace was kind of like the the heart of the show. Or the yeah, yeah. Well, well, he was human. You know what I mean? All these guys pretending to be hard, and this doesn't affect you. And he's like, you know what? I'm I'm a 16 year old kid, and I'm not supposed to see a dismembered guy like on the hood of a car in front of my house, and supposed to be living in a vacant. You know, this is messed up. This, this world I'm living in, and he had a taste of not that world. So he knew that there could be a different way for his life. He still went back to it. That was his mistake. He should have stayed away. Um, but you know, yeah. Well, and I I think especially going back when he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, I mean, the thing is, uh, and, and like the thing is, I mean, from a purely utilitarian perspective, I'm not even sure it was a bad move of Stringer to have it. No, 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 because honestly, it got it solved two problems at once, right? Because it got rid of Wallace, who was the weak link. He wasn't built for it. He's not about it. He was snitching uh, to a degree, and and you know, he wasn't really going to be a solid uh, actor in this uh, enterprise. And it solidified the other guy to him. Now he's now he's killed his friend. So yeah, of course he's going to be loyal to him. He, what choice does he have if if that if he's not, that means nothing. And then where where is he? You know. So yeah. Well, it's it's uh, you know, I mean he. That, that, I think that's the important point was that you know when he was strung out on heroin or cocaine mm-hmm. or whatever. He was, I think it was heroin. I think it was heroin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he did get picked up, and the police took him in, and he mm-hmm. did let some things slide. And so mm-hmm. he had been cooperating. So, and when, you know, I don't know, he had gone down to like North Carolina or Virginia or somewhere and stay with his aunt or something like that. I think it was grandma, but yeah. But then he came back and he said, you know, I'm, I'm from Baltimore. This is where I grew up. This is where I live. This is, this mm-hmm. is it for life for me. Now I'm ready to be in this thing and stuff. Right. And I don't know. I don't know if he would have kept cooperating. I don't know if he would have gone back to using or if he was going to, you know, get into it like Brody. Yeah, could have gone either way, yeah. But, you know, some questions go unanswered, so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, if you want to take it, I don't know if you want to talk about D yet, but, you know, D kind of laid it out, you know, when the, they were doing the interrogation and he was talking to them about wanting to get out of life and stuff. He was like, look, this is everybody I knew. I mean, even his mother. Man, his, his mother's scary, but she's like, she's kind of the representation yeah. of that kind of poisonous maternal spirit that's like, you know, she is looking out for him in a way, yeah. but it's like she's also leading him right into the jaws of this stuff, and like she's like telling him he's got to take this time and he's got to like, you know, stand up or whatever in, in prison. But it's like you know, she's not actually thinking about what's best for him. It's really about what's best for her and the people, other people around her, because it's like everything goes away if you don't do this. But if she really cared about her son, she'd let him go away. I mean, wouldn't you want your kid to have a better life? I mean, I mean, she wouldn't have all the things that she has and the life that she has. But come on, like you know. Well, I mean, I think okay. I mean, the thing is, her brother is Avon. I know. Yeah, that's true. Everybody they know is everybody they know is in this, and these are the people at the top of the food chain in their environment, right? Yeah. And they see the other people, you know, poor people, 
people who are strung out on drugs. And I think that she, I think she and she sees if we're not, you know, doing what we're doing here in this, this gang, then, you know, the other alternatives in this community are not, not nearly as, you know, they're not things that we want. Yeah. It's like, it's like pimp or be pimped basically. You know what I mean? And they'd rather be the pimps than the pimpy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, I mean, when she comes to talk to D after he's already told McNulty Mm -hmm. that he's already like proffered certain information to them. And I think the whole scene where he, you know, tells, okay, what about the part, the tap, tap, tap thing where he told the the guys. So that was, that was the truth that it was actually Weebay, right? Yeah, and okay. I guess he had just heard the story from Weebay, or he'd been there that night as a decoy or something, and Weebay had done the thing. Mm-hmm. So really, he was just trying to look hard in front of uh, Poot and Wallace and all them when he told that story. Especially, I think especially Brody. I think Brody had come out of the. Uh, Brody had you know was acting mm-hmm. all hard after he ran away from the uh, juvenile. Right. He's like, I just got out of prison for murdering you. Yo, he's like, Yeah, you got the one. He's like, mm-hmm. No, you don't know about the other one. He's like the I one you know about. <laughs> Yeah, and so he was like, he was, you know, claiming Weebay's murder just to make himself seem hard. But then we find out, okay, he actually didn't do that. He didn't yeah. even know that that was what was going to happen that night. Yeah, I just want to say one thing about Weebay. I think I expressed my utter disgust for him after what happened with the stripper. But I did, against my own will, become very endeared to his the fact that he's so into the fish. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got, okay, he's, he's, he's a complex character yeah yeah he's got sides to him yeah i i didn't like i was like man this guy guy. is a monster he's killing everybody he's just he's just he's he's raping people to death while they're while they're asleep and you know what am i supposed to like about this guy then that scene where he takes d and d thinks he's gonna whack him or whatever but it's really just to show him how to feed the fish i was like oh okay so maybe there is another side and then when not to get into season two too far but when the uh that one guard comes through and and dumps his fish on the ground he's like no it's just you know motor in their back or whatever he dumps it on the ground he didn't have to mess with my fish like that he didn't have to go there <laughs> <laughs> yeah we bays i mean i think you know yeah he developed a, ha- a hobby of you know collecting exotic fish with mm-hmm. the money he brought in from this thing and something he did but yeah i mean the tension when he's bringing um you know they're cleaning up after mm-hmm. the after they killed the the orlando mm-hmm. who was trying to do the other deals and he ended yep. up you know trying to score from police mm-hmm. um you know uh you know, uh, D'Angelo Barksdale was also with him on that deal. And mm-hmm. so D'Angelo thought that he was going to get cleaned up too. Yep. And nothing that Weebay or anybody else said reassured him that he wasn't. And he's like, get in here. Come on in here. What are you doing? You're wasting my time. Or something. He's like, you know, he's got a gun and he, he knows he's going to get blasted. And then he turns on the lights and there's a bunch of fish tanks. He's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta feed the fish while I'm away. I'm going to go to Philadelphia or something. And like, <laughs> And like, oh my God, woo, what a relief. (laughs) And yeah, and with D'Angelo, like, I mean, the scene where he's, you know, proffering information to them and stuff, and he's got his lawyer, the woman there and stuff, and she's, you know, making a good defense of him or whatever, but Mm -hmm. then she just keeps seeing all these photos of murdered people and stuff, and she realizes, like, and her her face just kind of sours throughout that scene. She realizes, like, oh my God, this guy's a scumbag, and everybody, he's involved in some really dark shit. And I'm defending him here. And it's like, you, you, you get the sense that I think she did a good job in that scene of, you know, just kind of transforming from like a kind of a stoic lawyer to just like, oh, my God, this guy is wrapped up in some really heavy stuff. And yeah, and so that was that was good. And then, yeah. And after that, after it looks like D'Angelo is totally ready to just give everything up, go into witness protection, given turn in his uncle, turn in everybody. Mm-hmm. 
and then his mother comes and I think when like McNulty's leaving the jail or something, you see D'Angelo in the back, like getting a hug from his mother, his mother's patting him on the back or something. And in any other movie or show, that would be a heartwarming scene, you know, where mm-hmm. the mother's supporting her son, but you, it has such a sinister undertone. Oh that. yeah. Sinister is the right word for it. Yeah. I mean, she makes my skin crawl, but you know, she's a creature of that world. You know, she lives in that world. She would be, like she said, this is what separates us from these other people. And they, they, we live on the top of the heap and otherwise we'd be just like them, you know? So she's like basically given herself completely over to this. And that's your mother talking. I mean, it's anybody else, you know, you wouldn't listen, but this is like, yeah, and then that one scene where she brings him the food or whatever, I like question like because that's the first time you really see her is when she you know they're down in the pit and she drives by and gives him that food and and she's like oh you know have a have a good day sweetie like it's like he's going to school or something it's like does she know what he's doing she seems happy about this and then it's like oh well yeah. she's more than happy she about does. this it's like she's requiring that this is the way it is you know <laughs> yeah yeah well and, well like in later seasons we're gonna get more sense and I. You get the sense that, well, I, I really don't want to give anything away, but we're going to, like, okay, let's just say these people, some of them have children, okay, and we're going to get to meet some of the children later and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in a way, we're going to get, you know, because there's, there's a part of this history of this story that we've missed, which is the, you know, Avon and Stringer and their crew coming up, right? Mm-hmm. But we are basically going to get to see that happen again. Um, from the beginning, basically. And mm-hmm. we're going to get to know these characters through different characters, basically. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I, I don't think I'm giving... I, I'm giving a lot away by saying that, but I'm really not giving much away. It's just, I mean, the, 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 the process of watching it is a thing to behold in its own way. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to see more about WeeBay. We're going to get to know a different side of WeeBay later, too. Not that that redeems them totally, but I don't know. It's... Um, Okay, well, I have a question about Weebay at the end of that season, right? So he he takes the deal where he, instead of having, like, the death penalty, because they know he killed, uh, you know, Orlando with with Little Man, and and he also has killed all these other people. He's just taking other murders. Little Man after that. What's that? Which... And he, and he killed Little Man. After oh, right, that, and he killed Little that. Man after that. But, like, Although he, we don't, yeah, we sorry, don't see that on screen, though. Right, but he's already made a deal for that, right? So he thinks he can just take on any other murders that he wants, and he won't get any more any worse penalty than he's already gotten. Well, they're giving him life with no parole, and they said... They, and I think and then they said they won't do like, the death penalty because he's whatever. I don't know. Why did they say that again? Well, I, I, it's pretty complicated, I, and frankly, I don't forget, I don't remember the details. But basically, you know, obviously for the homicide department, it's a huge score because he's willing to cop to all kinds of murders, including like they. I think they said the Gantt murder. They said that they were pretty sure that it was another guy who had done that who had already been. Killed. Well, didn't Bunk say it doesn't but, even match up? Like the where he said like he shot him and all this yeah. stuff. Like it doesn't even like match the evidence that they have. He's just taking things to take him or whatever. Yeah. So he's he's taking. Like that. Well, I mean, his lawyer advised him anything that you don't cop to right now will be outside of the immunity deal. And so you could be prosecuted death penalty for any of those things. So you might as well just tell them everything right now. And so he's like, okay, bring me some more food, bring me some more drinks, and I'll tell you some more. And he, and he I did like when they're like we're out of what it, what, did, what did he say they're out of like coleslaw and he's like oh <laughs> <laughs> he has like, he's like damn I'm, I'm trying to get the best deal I can here and I can't even get coleslaw <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of but that's I mean that's the reality of that situation 
you know, it's a time sensitive thing. So. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, he's he's admitting to pretty much probably every murder that he's done, as well as some that other people in the crew have done that he can. So is he? But is he just taking that for the good of the organization too? Like, is he just like you know, I may as well just you know, for the good of everybody, just take this these murders off everyone else's plate? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. But why is he so loyal then? It's not like he's ever going to get out, right? Well, he's a he's a soldier in that organization. True, true. I mean, I guess he'll probably maybe get stuff in prison from the gang or something. They'll be able to give send him stuff. I don't know, but uh, he'll get okay. He'll get stuff in prison, and also his family outside will be taken. Ah, that's yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, and and these are all things that we're gonna, you know, I, again, I. We're going to come back to a lot of this stuff later because he, that, that's a good thing. Like characters don't really disappear from this show mm-hmm. unless they get killed, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, they stick around and you see what happens with them, even if it doesn't really seem to be germane to the main plot or whatever mm-hmm. at the moment. So. Yeah. Well, was there anything else about season one you wanted to get into? I'm trying to think. Um, did we, do we have the part, what, what happened? There was a thing with uh, Herc and Carver. Where they lost the money before. Yeah, I love the scene where they're doing the raid and they just have, because they had that big conundrum. It's like, oh, they heard us on the wire say this much and and you thought, you didn't think about that, did you? And they thought about stealing it, but they knew they'd get caught and then they lost the money and then they found it and then what's his name didn't believe him, but he still wanted it back by the morning. And it's like, you know, that was a big, like, 20 minute, like, arc that they had about that whole thing. And then, like, they literally do this raid and, like, they just flip the mattress over. They're like, ready? And they're like, yep, we're taking that. I love that. They just looked at each other and they're like, we're doing this now. Oh, yeah. This money is not going to be reported. Nobody's counted this yet. Nobody knows it's here. Let's go. (laughs) We're the only ones in the room. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Herc and Carver. Oh, boy. So, okay. Well, I I guess one more thing I wanted to talk about is that last kind of scene where we see where everyone goes, right? And we see that um, uh, Carver, right, was the snitch for the higher-ups in the crew. Like, he told them what was going on in the crew. Like, they called him up secretly, and then he, like... Yeah, the detail, right. So, he then looks like in season two got demoted. Is that right? Is he, he looks like he's back to, like, just being a street cop. Is that right? Um, I can't remember exactly. Well, he's the one that's, like, papering all the cars and doing the DUI checkpoints and harassing all the dock workers and stuff for the um, Polish, uh, you know, the guy that has the problem with the dock worker because of the stained glass window or whatever. No, well, it's Presby Lucy's uh, uncle or, you know, father-in-law. Father-in-law, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well... um, That doesn't look like he did very well, because, I mean, obviously, Herc is, you know, he made made sergeant, right? That's his thing. He got that promotion. Yeah, and that was was a hilarious thing, because if we remember when they were studying for that that, that exam, that test, to get promoted, Mm -hmm. like, Herc was just, you know, he was jerking off, basically, and Carver was really, really studying, Mm -hmm. and then... Carver doesn't pass it, and Herc does. And so <laughs> it's it's kind of an ironic twist there, kind of a funny twist. Yeah, you know, Herc probably should not have been promoted. No. Carver, <laughs> it's a questionable thing, but it probably would have been better with Carver than Herc. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, but but uh, going back to what I'm saying, like Carver, 
it looks like from what I see in the second season is not he doesn't seem to be in quite the same position as he was in the first season. In fact, he seems to be lower. I mean, maybe he's in charge of that you know group of people, but is that really? Uh, I mean, did he did he get promoted? No. He or did he just go back to what he was doing before? Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to rewatch these episodes to find out to remember exactly what had happened with Carver. Okay, but um, yeah, it's. I mean, he's he's still got a role to play in the future. Oh yeah, no, he's absolutely yeah. got a role to play. But I just wasn't clear if he like you know if if that helped or hurt him or like or what. But because um, yeah. I mean, what's I his name gave him that big speech about you're gonna have to decide you know if, what this job is or something when when he finds out he's the snitch or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. The um, what's his name? Yeah, that that was yeah. That guy, <laughs> that guy's no nonsense. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say, if we we're gonna just jump to season two for a moment, uh, at the end of uh, episode four, uh, I don't know if you remember the scene, but it's after Kima tells her wife and he tells his wife that they're going back. Oh in yeah. it. Uh, when they, they kind of flash back and forth the the dinners that they're having, I love that scene. That was so good. Like I think you'd see like they like they they've just told them it's silent there's no dialogue but like you can see they're kind of like pensive and the, and the spouses are like losing it like you know? yeah yeah they... that's so good because <laughs> it's yeah, like when like Kima said it's like and, and everybody knows this like if they get into it like she hears the music she's gonna dance like she said you know like these people they live for this and if they get into this they're gonna go all in and you know and their spouses know that you know and they want them to get out like both of them have their own reasons but like you know Kima's you know, spouse obviously wants her to like be in the office and be a house cat or whatever and not get out in the streets because of what happened and then like what's his name was you know gonna go he was gonna go past the bar or he was on his way out the door um you know because he got stuck in the basement or whatever so but then they like because oh you can make major and you know you get a major's pension and you know they dragged him back in so yeah yeah that was that was a good scene they yeah they kind of juxtaposed the two families and stuff and mm-hmm. you know obviously yeah different reasons different positions different benefits different costs and mm-hmm. stuff but mm-hmm. yeah similar reactions from their spouses <laughs> So yeah. Oh, and yeah. I sorry. I have one more question about the end of season one. So remember that uh, scene? Well, I guess I had a couple more, but uh, so remember the scene where uh, what's his name that does the furniture uh, and got stuck in the pawn shop uh, unit? Yeah. So he gives him that story about how he got stuck there and, and said, uh, "Where where don't you want to go or whatever?" Mm-hmm. Now now did Jimmy say that he? did want to go to the boats or didn't? I couldn't remember if that was where he wanted to go or if that's where he didn't want to go. The ironic thing is that when, when Lester Freeman gave him that speech, yes. he had already told Jay Landsman, the fat guy at the homicide yeah. department, like he'd say, he'd already asked him, like, where don't you want to go? And he's like, the only place I don't want to go is on the boats. I get oh, so he already told Landsman where he didn't want to go before that speech. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, like, he went to that guy's office. What was his name? Um, you know, you know what I'm talking Wallace, about. Landsman? The guy above Landsman. No, Rawls. Rawls, Rawls. When Rawls brings him in the office, like, I want to see your land on your feet. Where don't you want to go? I thought he was going to do the thing that he told him to do and say the opposite of what he wanted so that they would think they were, you know, give him the bad detail, but really what he wanted. But, but they already knew he didn't want to go to the boats, you're saying. 
Well, I don't know if Rawls knew it at that point. He may have been looking for confirmation from this guy. Mm. Or I don't know if he, he said, like, well, I had him in my office, and I asked him, and he didn't tell me anything. So I don't know where to sit him. And Landsman told him, well, he told me in the past that he doesn't want to go on the boat. So I see. Got to send him. Okay. So I, I imagine that's how it went down. But I'm I mean, I'm kind of getting that he doesn't want to be there, but I couldn't remember how that all shook out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly how that happened. Mm-hmm. Lester gave him the advice, but it was too late. He was too late. Right? about where he didn't want to go to the mm-hmm. wrong guy. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it kind of shows because he doesn't even know how to do like any knots, and he's like always complaining about how cold it is, and he's always like leaving to get drunk and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, yeah, this show, it's its just like, and I think that's another one of the major themes. I don't know where I heard this, but like one of the major themes that comes across is, I think mean, it operates on so many levels. And some people have said it's more like a novel than a TV show. I think that's true. After you've seen the whole season, you realize like there's a huge arc there. Every There are a lot of character arcs. There's a lot of stuff going on. Deep stuff, you know, funny stuff, tragic stuff, all this stuff. And, but, and so on, it works on the human level. But a major a major story in, within this thing is the 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 effect the kind of the corrosive or damaging effect I think of institutions on the individual right mm-hmm. whether it's a drug gang or the police or whatever the department the uh, uh, dysfunctional department in a relatively dysfunctional city um, you know the effect that has on these people who you know sometimes they just want to do a good job sometimes they just want to skate by and not do a good job but. Or, you know, the effects of the drug gang on a family mm-hmm. with the Barksdale family or, you know, kids, basically, who are working this thing and, you know, mm-hmm. where they're getting killed by their friends or having to kill their friends and stuff. I mean, like, so I think, and you know, the union you're going to see in the next season and the, the dock workers and the, 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 you know, all this stuff like... um you know the the uh, the you know kind of post-industrial economy on an industrial community within a city. Like I mean, it, and so it's working on a very deep level as far as like institutions versus individuals. And of course, it's also working on the level of a, kind of a love-hate letter to the city of Baltimore. Basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, basically I think every season pretty much ends with a, a music montage of different scenes from around the city of Baltimore. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think season one had that, and I'm pretty sure that every season basically has that kind of at the conclusion. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think one thing I've noticed is that oftentimes the the penultimate, the second from the last episode, is usually the kind of the the climax, and then the last episode is usually kind of just falling action, basically. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are some kind of like kind of some macro things to take note of, I guess. Okay. But yeah, you, you said maybe you had some other other questions or other thoughts about. Oh, oh, uh, well, kind of just a side point about. Uh, sorry, what's the guy with the furniture's name again? Uh, Lester Lester Freeman, I think. Lester Freeman, yeah. Uh, does does he? Do we see that stripper that he was with at the end again, or, or are they with each other now, or was that just kind of a fling or whatever? Um, well, I don't. Want you don't to want to say anything? Okay, anything. don't say anything. Don't say anything. I just thought it was funny that one scene where uh, what's his name was like, uh, remember who you are, and he's like, oh, protect and serve. <laughs> like I was like, well, we double entendre right there, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Remember who you are, detective. Oh wow! Yeah, or the part where um, what's her name, Perlman? I want to say the the prosecutor. Uh-huh. Um, 
the lawyer that Jimmy has had relations with, um, mm-hmm. she comes into their office or something, and they've got this woman like walking around the, the yeah. thing with like her legs tied together, right. and she doesn't know what the hell they're doing. She's doing <laughs> kinky shit, and like <laughs> you know, like, um, uh, Herc has got this like twig like bent to snap or something. His hands is biting it or something. Yeah. <laughs> And she's like, what the hell are you all doing? And she, I mean, she doesn't realize that they're actually, like, having her figure out how long one step is so she can measure the, you know, mm-hmm. she, she doesn't know what they're, they're actually doing something sort of, but. Yeah. But, you know, with regards to the, the stripper, I mean, like, she, which, I mean, again. We're going to see her again, is all you're saying. A lot of, I mean, characters in this show don't necessarily go away unless they have a reason to go away, usually. Um, so I don't want to, you know, say anything this way or that way about that, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any others? I think that was it. Um, yeah, I just felt really bad at the end of the first scene. <laughs> like it was just a good. Yeah. I That's felt horrible. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is, this is prestige television, Bob. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome. We made it. <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, great. Okay. All right. Well, as long as that's what's supposed to happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but, I mean, I guess I have some follow-up questions for you, too, because, like, you know, you had repeatedly had trouble getting into the show, and now that you've seen it through the first season, I mean, would you say you're, you're in for the duration, basically? I mean, I've got to finish it now. Yeah, sure. And, yeah, I mean, you, you see the, the characterization, the story, the the, the levels it's working on, mm-hmm. the the scope, the range, the you know, the arcs, everything like that. I mean, yeah, you know, and how I mean, how would you say it stacks stacks up against other shows? I mean, again, you can't really compare one season of one show to yeah. seven or nine seasons of another show. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I'm not ready to make a final judgment or whatever. I'm, I'm still kind of feeling it out. But, you know, I think it's definitely up there. I don't know. It's like so like it's like like the lesson I took from like I said, I just felt bad at the end of the first season because it just feels like, okay, this is like basically the world is unfair and it's designed to be unfair. And then anyone that tries to show any tenderness or humanity or try to go against it to make a positive change in any way is going to be beaten back down with a quickness and it's going to hurt them in every way possible. Um, And you just, you know, you basically have to work within whatever system and you're kind of in a prison, even if you're not actually in jail. Like, it's like that, that's the, you know, lesson I took away from the first season. So, and that's, that's a pretty heavy statement and, you know, probably true, but man, it didn't make me feel good or hopeful or like, you know, anything you do in this life actually matters. It's like, okay, well, I guess you can squirm around and try to do what you want, but, you know, they're still going to be, you know, <laughs> Omar's still going to be there, you know, robbing you for your stash, you know, they're still going to be, you know, they, all these things are still in place, uh, you know, and nothing changes, you know, nothing matters. So, <laughs> so, and I didn't feel good about that. I felt like it made the point very well, um, you know. I, I feel like The Sopranos is still more fun somehow. Like, it's still, like, I, I feel like I'm a little more detached. It seems a little more... I don't want to say cartoony, but you know, like when they're in in the back of the strip club, you know, and, and they're talking about stuff, it does almost feel like a Barney Rubble and like you know the cavemen and the moose. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of cartoony, and you know, it's it's not, it's a little more detached from reality, even though it's like super gritty and realistic. I, I, don't, I don't feel yeah. you know. I feel like this is like real life. You know, this is like how it actually happens, and you know, maybe that's better uh, storytelling wise, but man, it grinds you to a pulp. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I think the Sopranos, like going back and because yeah, I mean, the, I mean that's and that's the great thing about this show too is that you go back and you rewatch other shows with a different perspective in some ways because like yeah, the, before I saw this, the Sopranos was the darkest, grittiest, you know, most hardcore. Sure criminal TV show that I ever seen and stuff. So when I went back and rewatched The Sopranos, I really appreciated how much humor there was in The Sopranos because um, like because basically I think David Chase has said that basically every line he has the criminals ever say in The Sopranos is the opposite of whatever is morally right or correct or true. Mm-hmm. They lie to themselves, they lie to each other, they lie to their family, they mm-hmm. lie about everything, literally, basically. Yeah. And 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 that's that's funny. It's ironic in a way, and it's interesting to watch. But it's also not necessarily true. I mean, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I do think like the the wire. I don't know. The wire is a little bit melodramatic at times, I guess, because I think like you know everybody is just so witty in such a kind of down home kind of way. You know, not not down home like country style, but like you know down home. You know, uh, police in Baltimore, or you know, hood type people, or something like they—they have this kind of. They all have their own kind of wisdom or something. And you know, I don't think that's necessarily true. Everybody either. I think like most of the things that most people say throughout the day on a given day are not that wise. (laughs) Everybody's dropping wisdom nonstop on the wire. Right, right. You know, this guy. He's he's got he's got a chance to make his show and to make his points, and so he's you know. So I guess for both of those shows, that would be my criticism of the the uh, realism of, of dialogue and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and absolutely. And I think like David Chase, having been a reporter in Baltimore, you know, he's seen the reality of this up close. So when wait, it wait, came, David Chase? No, no, no. Sorry, uh, David Simon. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. David Simon had been a reporter in Baltimore before this, so it's like he's seen the real people. So when he has a chance to make, you know, a fictionalized version, every, I feel like everybody's got to stand for something. You know, they've got to represent some element of the city or a group of people or an amalgamation that he wants to like portray or you know get a point across. So you're right. I think that's like everything is very freighted with meaning. And you're right. I mean, <laughs> you know, our you know people can go back and listen to our podcast. We're not always as witty as we'd like to be in every moment, you know, because we're not having to be ciphers for entire, well, okay, fine, you, but (laughs) most people on the podcast are. (laughs) Yeah, the other people. Yeah, the others. I'm just kidding, yeah, Yeah. it's true, like, sometimes I cringe or whatever when I hear myself or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, sometimes I, like, I forget because it's like a three-hour conversation. I th- I forget what I said, but yeah. I, I hear what you said, what the buildup is, and I think this is what I should say. And then I say it, and that's what I said. And I'm like, yes, good job, high five, former me. That was the right punchline, or that was the you know the the right direction to go. With that, yeah, I think. Uh-huh. Although sometimes I notice, like I say like a lot. I say, oh no, yeah, you know, you know. I say uh-huh. like I've got some verbal verbal ticks that I'm not very cognizant of. So. Sure. We all do. And yeah, if you want to really uh, get in there, uh, transcribe your own voice or, or edit your own voice for several hours, you really get a chance to get intimate with that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you hear people like on the news or whatever, people who are, they have a show or something, like you hear that they've gone to some sort of like a kind of a finishing school or some mm-hmm. sort of a school where they, I don't know, they, anyways, they've had some sort of public speaking training. Media training, right. There. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm fascinated by that. I think I mean I'm sure it's expensive and stuff. I'm I'm just curious about that. Like, what kind of stuff do they teach you? 
to be able to do because these people are so eloquent and stuff, right? Like if I were on MSNBC, I'd be a nervous wreck. I'm pretty sure. Sure. So these people speak eloquently and stuff. And so I'm like, man, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's usually people with something to promote that know they're going to ask the same questions a million times so they can really like have a canned answer that's really eloquent and quotable and you know, all that. So yeah, yeah. I think that, well, I mean, I think, and I think that was part of the original vision of this show from what I, you know, you had a vision of the show and I, I had some, uh, contrib- contributions that I made one night and stuff about, you know, just the realness, the lengthy conversation, not the five second sound bite, you know, the 30 second, you know, spot on the show and stuff moving on. We've got to leave it there. This kind of stuff that you see on TV and stuff, but not to have that was something mm-hmm. that was desirable, but also in, in a way inevitable, I think. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so the wire. Yeah, it's um, any any word on if Ash might be interested in watching it along. I, I mean, she I, watched I with me uh, before, and uh, she'll like be working on other stuff when I'm watching, and like she'll randomly ask, like uh, when uh, when what's his name D's mom goes to visit Avon in prison. She was like, and she hadn't watched for like a couple episodes, and she was like, "Now what's happening here?" And I like audibly sighed before I answered, and I was like. I can't. I just, it's going to take. Um, let me just pause here and, and, and talk to you for about 25 minutes so I can, like, partially catch you up on what's happened. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I know you guys have got a situation with your. Uh, well, it's like the, the part of the problem is that we only have, like, one time a day to, like, actually work on or watch our own stuff. So it's usually at the very end of the day after the kids have already been put to bed. And usually that's the only time I get to watch The Wire. And if Ash has anything else she wants to work on besides, you know, uh, wrangling the kids, she's got to do it then. So, you know, unless she's, like, going to be fully committed and watch this, it's, it's not the kind of thing you can half watch, you know. So Yeah. 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 Well, I, I hope that she will uh... – I hope that she, if you guys go back and try to, you know, watch from the beginning with her or something, like, I hope she can give it a real go. And yeah, because I think it's, uh, I, and I think, I, I'm sure by the end of the season five, you'll be the number one uh, proselytizer for the show anyway. So I, I don't, I'm not really worried about it right uh-huh. now, but, <laughs> but um, yeah. And like I said, you know, we've got politics coming up. We've got uh, school systems in Baltimore coming up. We've got the news media, the print media. Yeah, I'm looking out. forward to that. I, you know, these are all things that I think that you're going to be fascinated by as well. These are, you know, mm-hmm. interests that I know you have. Right, so right. It's the, and that's that's the thing that really confounds me that you haven't actually gone through this show before. Mm-hmm. No, pretty much every uh, hard bitten reporter around my age has already like absorbed this and quoted lines and, and been disappointed as you are with me not having seen it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're rectifying. Oh it yeah, we're doing now. that. But um, well. I I probably ought to get going here, but uh, any final thoughts on uh, these episodes before we... I, I can probably actually, I don't know when the next time you can talk, you said maybe next week, same time um, or so. Yeah, possibly so. Okay. I we'll have next Wednesday off, too. So I'm going to, you know, this week I'm going to put in some work on season two, and I'm going to see how far I can get in it. I may finish the season or I may not. I'm really yeah. not sure. But yeah, I may, I may be in the same boat, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to push and try to get as close as I can to finishing the second season, but... Yeah, 
yeah, it's it's a it's a show. It's a hell of a show. Mm-hmm. So hopefully our listeners have either seen it or they're watching along with us. I hope we didn't spoil anything for anybody too badly. But yeah, all right. Well, um, we'll talk again here next week. Um, I'm gonna, you know, possibly this weekend. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just see how far we get and everything. But yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Good talk, Bob. Glad you finished season one. Glad you're well into season two already. So I, I don't have to have any compunctions about moving forward. Oh yeah. 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 Let's let's keep going. So. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. And Michael Wolf, we're still coming for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Michael Wolf. It, it's just on the back burner. You know, there's some comment here about the, uh, you know, the, the stupidification of our generation or something, mm-hmm. moving from books to television. But we've got such goddamn good television. <laughs> That's right. We, we got that, if nothing else, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. We're not watching, like, you know, Friends with a Laugh Track here. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, take it easy, child. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Yeah. Talk to you later. Bye.
If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.